0: This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome back to Gosh Pods. This week we have the second part of our two part series on microbiology matters. This week the brilliant Anthony D'Souza will be speaking with colleagues about fecal transplant. We very much hope you enjoy this week's episode and I'll hand over to Anthony.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of this podcast, which I've now named Microbiology Matters. Uh, My co-hosts today are Vicky and Amrat. And if we could start with Amrat, if you could please introduce yourself, um, what you do, and why you've decided to take part in this podcast.
2: Thank you, Anthony. So my name is Amrat Karana, and I am a digital learning officer at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, which means that I work with nurses and doctors to try and create um, education that's easily accessible to um, most people. So try and do it um, in an online um, um, platform. So, you know, there are learners that don't have to come into the hospital to learn. They can do it online at home or whenever they get some free time. So this is quite an interesting subject, faecal transplants. And I guess... I'd like to know a little bit more about what it is and and the roots of transplant is my main question. Just because I've come across this topic before, um, and I've had conversations before, not actually knowing very much about it. So it'll be really nice to learn something new today.
1: Excellent, and Vicky.
3: So hi, I'm Vicky, and I'm the associate director of education in the Gosh Learning Academy. So essentially, I um work with lynn and simon on strategy and the reason i'm here is because i have more questions about fecal transplantation than i have answers and <laughs> i am and as i was just telling anthony i'm in the middle of cooking my dinner as well so <laughs> i'm interested to see how this affects my appetite at the end
1: excellent um, i'm going to try not to laugh during this and um, so let's do a quick recap um, to give you some context about this So in healthy people, the intestinal tract has a diverse population of bacteria, um, which colonize and live there and take up space. So when patients are given broad spectrum antibiotics um, to treat infection, these also kill these beneficial bacteria. So if an organism holds Clostridium Difficile is present. I'm gonna call it C. diff from now on because there's a lot of um, issues about what you should actually pronounce, how you should pronounce it, and I always get it wrong. So C. diff um, is present. It will multiply and take up the space that's left by the good bacteria after they're killed. So then C. diff then produces toxins, which basically inflame and damage your colon, um, causing severe pain, diarrhea, and vomiting, which is obviously very, very bad. This can also lead to what's called toxic megacolon, which is severe inflammation of the colon, and it causes it to really swell and can result in death. So obviously not good. Um, so first line treatment is usually treatment with antibiotics, um, but you can get like a 20 to 25% relapse after you've used these antibiotics to try and kill C. Diff. So sometimes it doesn't work the organism can become resistant, and then you go back to having all the symptoms you had before. So this is where a fecal microbial transplant or fecal transplant comes in. It aims to replace those good beneficial bacteria that were lost. And after two procedures, it's 94% effective, which is really good. So my first question for you guys is, how do you think this procedure is undertaken if you had to guess?
2: You know what? I, I was thinking about this and I was and I was making myself feel sick. Um, <laughs> because there's two ways, I guess.
1: <laughs> there is two ways, yes.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I actually came across a diagram a few a few maybe last year, you know, when when, when I came across this topic. And and I thought, oh, I'd Google a diagram, and I can't remember. But the way the diagram was um, constructed was that it goes in um, that way, which I can't imagine, unless it. See, see, that's where my question is. If that is the case, is it is it, are these samples the the healthy samples screened because it's, I mean, it's fecal matter, isn't it? It's yeah.
1: Fecal.
2: So. And so yeah, that's a good way.
1: question. We're gonna. Come to that, you're right. There are two ways um, to administer the transplant, um, and donors are screened. So we we will get onto that shortly. Vicky, can you
3: perhaps? I, I don't know, um, but I'm can. I wondered if it was made into tablets, almost, based on my parents using lion poo in their garden to stop cats coming in. They nice. have they have lion poo capsules that they put in the garden and then. Um, cats smell it and so I just wonder if we do the same with human poo that we do with lion poo.
1: Okay so I hope you guys aren't squeamish because I'm about to describe the process so 60 grams is mixed with 250 to 300 mils of water so I think that's half a pint Um, sorry saline solution it's mixed with so it's homogenized by being shaken together or often hospitals will have their own Food blender, which they use specifically. Yeah, you'd
3: want to keep it separate.
1: Yeah, you definitely want to label <laughs> it with equal task blender." Um, don't want to make a smoothie in that.
3: <laughs> oh,
2: that—that's one smoothie so, that you want to
1: So once you've made your solution, it you then needs to be filtered through a gauze or coffee filter type gauze to remove the large bits, um, and then you normally administer it via the lower. Gastrotract um, by a colonoscopy. So the good thing about that is you can kind of see where you're putting it, and you can kind of make sure you target areas, etc. Or by a, a nasogastric tube, um, which obviously goes up through your nose and down to your stomach. Mm. So those are the two ways. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages to both, um, which we won't dwell under. But that's the procedure. So questions. I don't know if that makes it better or worse for you guys. Like, do you think that's
2: I think it makes it better than than what I was imagining.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's better than actually drinking it. I think yeah. you yeah. need
2: to thank you, Vicky, <laughs> <laughs> exactly saying. I just didn't want to say it out loud.
3: <laughs> I mean we make children drink some foul medicines, you know, we make them drink saline. You know, we essentially make them drink salty water. Some stuff is, tastes taste really bad. But I think that's got a psychological thing as well, even what no matter what the taste is.
1: If you ever have to take the cholera vaccine, that is literally a drink that you have to drink. Yeah. Um, oh, just wow. just throwing that out there. Um, a lot of so medicines questions...
3: that don't taste good.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, I can't imagine it doing so. <laughs> um, so, what would you feel com- would you feel comfortable asking your flatmate, partner, or family member to be your donor if you were ill? So often they say that if you live with someone that's closely associated with you, they're more likely to have your similar um, bacterial microbiome or bacteria that are normally in your body. You'd be exposed to similar-ish risks. It kind of reduces the risk. Would you feel comfortable asking, for instance, your flatmate or your partner or family member to be a donor? Or do you think this is just really gross and you'd find it really awkward?
3: It's got to come from somewhere. Um, someone has to produce it. Um, I think in paediatrics it makes real sense for it to be the mum. Yeah. Because there's a lot of evidence kind of around breastfeeding and the whole kind of process of being on skin to skin, sharing bacteria. So I think in the paediatric population it makes real sense for it to be mum because they all have, you know, most children will um, kind of have the, that same yeah microbiome as as their family. Um, would I ask my partner. Oh, no? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> I'm not... it'd be an unusual conversation and one i've not ever had thoughts about how i was going to address <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah over a glass of wine oh by the way can you please <laughs> can i have
3: a little bit of your <laughs> um
2: you know what it's it it is it's quite um an off-put off-putting subject and it's definitely like you know on the disgusting scale but i wouldn't I wouldn't mind. I mean, I'd certainly ask a family member or a close friend. I mean, I'd probably ask a family member as opposed to a friend, just because, you know, they'd probably share more of the um, similar type of, you know, bacteria or I don't know, but um, I'm not entirely sure how my family would react. My mum would probably, probably say no, <laughs> whereas my siblings might say yes, because it might be less disgusting to them. My mum's from a completely different generation, so this concept will be completely new to her. She's 70, so it was like, oh, putting my fecal butter into you will be really disgusting. But yeah, I would, I would definitely, definitely ask, especially if it would help me.
3: It's because I suppose back you're back sick at this stage as well. Yeah. You're not yeah. well, and I think most families would do anything to help yeah. their family member Absolutely. if they were sick. You know, we're kind of thinking about, you know, if I was to ask my partner tonight, you know, I'm not, I'm not sick. But if I was really sick
2: mm. and
3: I'm assuming you have to be fairly sick to go down this route, Yeah. You, 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 your parents, you know, especially yet yeah, again, if you think about the kids we see at Scosh, the parents would do anything to make their kids better. And if donating a bit of stool is what it takes to be, that's actually a lot better than what some kids go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then
3: donating a kidney.
1: So, Amrap, to kind of alleviate your um, fears about picking a donor, so they're usually screened in a similar way to if you were going to donate blood. So they'll test for hepatitis, HIV syphilis, gastrointestinal pathogens, such as parasites. Because um, if you can imagine, if you're putting in someone else's stool into um, your body, if they've got any parasites, any pathogens, that then takes the place in your colon. Um, So ideally, you want someone that's quite healthy as well. You don't want someone that has any chronic gastrointestinal disorders. um, And you don't want anyone that's high risk. Um, No one that's had a history of antibiotic exposure previously because you want someone that has a very diverse bacteria population in their body, because that's okay. what's gonna help you. Um, so, third question, can you think of any treatment issues that may be a problem with this procedure, if you had to guess?
3: Does it work? What's the success rate
1: like? 94% after by two admissions. Which is really good they stopped the study halfway through because it was so effective
3: oh
2: i don't know is it would it be in the category of a uh, category of being an invasive procedure i mean it,
1: yeah i would say it's somewhat invasive yeah <laughs> yeah because it, i
2: don't know it's tough like what if patient i don't know what if? i, I don't know if if
3: tube's not going to be as invasive as a colonoscopy you don't need an anaesthetic to get an ng tube i assume you're still going to have to come in because yeah you're going to have to get an ng tube
1: i mean Mm. some of the treatment issues we all know
3: hospitals are not good places to be especially if you're sick
1: so there's a risk of damaging the colon i guess if you're having a colonoscopy um there's just always that small risk um so that's Potential issue. One of the issues that was completely overlooked um, previously was it doesn't screen for antibiotic resistance in the donor stall. So you're screening for pathogens, et cetera, but you're not screening for bacteria that are really, really resistant. And if someone is very, very resistant, I'm sorry, if a bacteria has large resistance and you're giving it to someone, that has very low diversity in their gut, you're then basically colonizing them with bacteria, which could then, for instance, go into their bloodstream and cause bloodstream infections and can produce an even more dangerous infection. And that has happened. Um, So there has been a few deaths linked to fecal transplant and the FDA um, in America issued a warning to basically say, bear this in mind.
3: Um, also there could be new new viruses as well I mean you know December last year you wouldn't have screened for coronavirus
1: Exactly and now that is probably part of the screening protocol yeah. for fecal transplant You
3: didn't know it existed you, you can't screen for something you don't know exists
1: Exactly definitely So I think my general thoughts about fecal transplant are that They sound really effective and quite easy to do. I mean, the thought does gross me out, but if that gets me off a hospital bed or if I know someone that needs my poo, then I guess I thought it would be quite (laughs) difficult for me to say no. Um, The thing that I... The thing that I'll remember about this podcast or about this topic that I didn't really know before was that this was actually described um, about 1,700 years ago by a Chinese medical scientist called Gi Hong. um, And he used it to treat people with severe diarrhea or food poisoning. Um, Which I had no idea it was that long ago. I thought it was a very much a recent thing.
3: I was going to say who came up with the idea recently. It does make sense, though, I suppose, if you're... You have the problem is you've got it has no bacteria. You put the bacteria in there.
1: Yeah, definitely makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's
2: like it's like one of those things. I mean, this is going completely off topic. It's like you know, coffee, um, coffee bags. How like all of a sudden you could do coffee bags, and you thought, why didn't we think of this before? You know, with this transferring (laughs) healthy bacteria into like, you know, like into someone who needs the healthy bacteria is really like. And you know what, there is more and more research. I know like from previously coming across this topic to suggest that, you know, our microbiota has so many different benefits to our health um, and not just physical health, but mental health. And and so I think if there's any new way of supporting or supporting people who are ill um, and helping them get better and, and it's not using antibiotics, then I think it's definitely a win.
1: win. I mean, a lot of studies um, with fecal transplant in relation to other chronic diseases. So in terms of autoimmunity, um, neurodegenerative disease, et cetera, there's a lot of studies going on to see um, how could this, could this affect other conditions.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so one fact that I found that was quite interesting was that you are more microbe than human. So if you counted all the cells of your human body, only 43% are human. 57% is what is called our microbiome. So bacteria, viruses, fungi, um, etc., which is quite shocking when you think mm-hmm. about it. So nice yeah, definitely surprising. So you can see how these things have such an impact on you and the diversity yeah. changes depending on your environment, what you eat, what you drink, how you exercise, everything like that.
2: Mm-hmm that's so interesting and you know a lot of people don't realize that i think if you say bacteria to somebody who doesn't necessarily have much awareness of medicine or science um then they just think oh bacteria is bad but actually you know you realize there's a lot of good in some bacteria
3: What's the medicalised version of having
1: one of those little yoghurt drinks that my mum takes every yeah. night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yes. I think what we'll find is down the road that instead of doing faecal transplants, they'll identify the bacteria mix that is good to treat certain conditions and it will be given that way rather than giving someone a whole chunk of stool that's yeah. kind of blended and given to you. Um, I think that's the way it will end up going. Um, But at the moment, I guess they're still kind of grappling with what they're doing. So if I could ask you what one thing you're going to take away from today or this session, um, what would it be? It could be anything. It could be, this is gross.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This is ingenious.
1: Mm.
3: I know it it was like described by some Chinese guy, you know, a millennia ago or whatever. But somebody at some point in recent history has had the guts to stand up and say, I know. Why don't we try?
1: Yeah, and you Some can imagine. I that...
3: stood up at a conference somewhere and said, "We tried this."
1: <laughs> it's so true. Vicky, <laughs> I thought you
2: were going to say, "Pardon the pun." Then someone had the guts. <laughs> someone had the guts. To... <laughs> oh, I never got that. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> um, it's incredible. I think, like you know, I mean, I all of it. Obviously, I'm taking away because a lot, all of it is like new knowledge to me. But the success rate is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And that's you know one of the more important things I'll take away with me in the future if I have to ever have to have like anything of this nature. Then I'm like, well, ninety-five percent is good enough for me. Is that was it ninety-five percent?
1: Ninety-four.
2: Ninety-four. Sorry, ninety-four.
3: We're all going to take a vaccine with the same kind of um, <laughs> ex- <laughs> yeah, success rates. So why not a fetal transplant? This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> right. Thanks,
1: guys, for being part of this. Um, I hope you enjoyed yeah. it. And yes. Yeah. Definitely.
2: This
3: again, it was interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. And educate your
3: friends. Have a chat. Well, I shall tell them all to go do big poos. How, do you, how does one become a poo donator? So... Are there poo donation sites?
1: So there is what's called... Oh, God. I think it's a company called Microbiome or something in America. Um, and you can become one, but the criteria is quite strict. So I read that 90% of applicants... Are turned away right because they need a store every day for a certain number of days so you have to be quite regular you have to pass all the kind of checks and balances for donation and then also they want people that have a healthy bacterial mix mm-hmm. so there is actual a healthy bacterial mix that is associated with you know people that exercise a lot or are lean or have good so glucose metabolism all these things
2: actually just on that um just on that, is is there so if you if you've kind of got, kind of got like a not very healthy mix of um, bacteria, you can get a good mix by eating healthy and or just changing lifestyle slightly. Is yeah, that right. And so you can change it all. Yeah, that's really interesting.
1: Um, I think to some degree genetics plays a part in the way your body is. So there'll be only so much, in a way, I imagine that you can change it through your environment, um, because there's always an interplay between the way your body works the way it, what it produces, the hormones it has, and what you can do to kind of alter that kind of mix. So it, it's very much an interplay between environment and genetics. <clears throat> but you can make positive changes, definitely. Great. Right, guys, I think we'll close there. Thank you both for um, attending. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods. If you want to listen to more brilliant educational podcasts from the team at the GLA, please search GOSH Learning Academy wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the work of the GLA by heading to the GOSH website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and searching Learning Academy. We're also on social media. You'll find the links to our Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn in the episode description. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you join us again soon for another installment of GOSH Pods.